not. Lost Talk seconds. Radio. Wow, mine did. Perfect. Uh, this is all about why the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do in this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. More friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about YBTR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about YBTR. And now, all about wine is on. Here's Thank you, bus people. Thank you. That was quick. Jeez. They are enthusiastic today. It's the Mm -hmm. Florida heat, probably, that has part of that enthusiasm. (laughs) And speaking of heat, there is not just heat in Florida, but there is heat all over the United States and all over the world. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, too. The heat hitting Europe uh, is pretty nasty, pretty bad. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And that's and some other stuff. So, it is Thursday, June the 23rd, 2022. It is 7.02 p.m. If it is really that and you're listening, then we're live and you can message us. Mike will get the message to me. If you are not at that time and date, then you are not live. And you can message us, but we won't answer because we won't be there. So, (laughs) so, simple as that. (laughs) So... Yeah, uh, and we got a guest next week, a uh, uh, Stephen Lane, uh, who is an author, wrote a book called Dragon Vine, and I have the book. I've been reading it, and uh, Stephen is really knowledgeable. He is a sommelier, so he does have knowledge there, but uh, he really does incorporate into the book a lot of wine stuff. Uh, an awful lot of wine stuff, which is really interesting. So he will be on next week talking to us about his book and his uh, his history leading up to it and how he, well, being a sommelier and what he's, if he decided to be an author, if he's worked anywhere and all that, we'll find that out next week. So to next week for our guest. And we've got other guests in the works, too, but you just get to listen to me this week. We apologize for last week's sound glitch and all that. I had to call in on landline because I think Ballcock Radio is playing games with us. Or it could be my microphone. I've played a little bit with my microphone this week through some instructions that Mike sent me, and it seems to be working today. I don't know if maybe it was the microphone, but it's happened before, so who knows? Yeah, it, it very possibly could be blog talk radio and it could be the microphone although it happens one week and then it doesn't the next and stuff like that when you start getting glitches back and forth you tend to want to blame something other than a thing I use all the time throughout the week and never have a problem with until I hook up the blog talk radio so here we go. It is, uh, like I could say, 623. Uh, and we've got what coming up here? We've got the uh, 4th of July coming up in uh, a week from, well, we'll have a show next week, and then 4th of July will be after that. Where's my, I can't find my pad to see. What other stuff is happening here? It's around here somewhere. Let's see if my microphone will reach over here. Yes, it is. 
what happened to it. Oh, there it is. It was buried underneath uh, papers and stuff there. Okay. All right. Um, uh, note, note coming off of uh, Facebook uh, from a listener, Charlie. Um, thank you for uh, making me aware that uh, we have an echo coming through the broadcast. So I just changed an audio setting, and we'll see if that fixed it. Um, oh. Should 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 be okay now, but he said there was an echo. So uh, well, we'll thank try you, that, John. and uh, hopefully, yeah, definitely. Uh, hopefully, we'll get some feedback and say, "Yep, that did it," and then I'll know. <laughs> was yeah, well, yeah. that's <laughs> nice. That yeah, we we get stuff I'm like that. Those. That's good. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Thank you. Um, I received a invitation to the Atlantic Seaboard Wine Association uh, wine. Uh, competition, and I, I'm still getting stuff like this. I, I, my name probably to the wine news out there for all this stuff. But instead of uh, filing this, uh, I decided I'd tell you some stuff about this. It says that they have a wine tasting, the 17th annual Atlantic Seaboard Wine Association wine competition. It is scheduled for Saturday and Sunday, August 13th and 14th at the Marriott Tyson's Corner in Tyson Corner, Virginia. And it is, it says the ASWA, which Atlantic Seaboard Wine Association, the ASWA is the largest U.S. wine competition focusing exclusively on East Coast wines. Hmm, cool. But it uh, includes a whole bunch of stuff. They do wines. It says the purpose of this year's competition will be, as always, to judge the quality and marketability of vinifera, Native American, and hybrid grape varieties, including sweet wines grown and produced in the Atlantic seaboard states. It says we also include ciders, mead, and fruit wines which is pretty cool. I I have seen this competition in the past and you know they've been doing it for 17 years so I've seen it in the past but it really is a pretty good competition. I I get the results and stuff like that usually. But they have lots of categories that they always offer and it's when when they offer more categories that means that you're going to get more winners because if you have Red wine category and white wine category and sparkling wine category, you've got three categories. You've got three first place and second, third, and whatever. This has, and I didn't count it, but this has like 35, 40 categories here, uh, ranging everywhere from sparkling, vinifera wine, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Gerberstraminer, Riesling, Moignet, all broken down. And then they've got... Uh, Interspecific blends, uh, Chamborsum, Concord, Norton, Red, Muscadine, Scuppernong, uh, just a little bit of everything. they got berry wine, strawberry, raspberry, elderberry, uh, palm fruit wine, apple, pear, stone fruit wine, cherry, peach, plum, other fruit wine, melon, citrus, flavored mead, uh, traditional mead. I, I just, it's a amazing uh, amount of categories here. Uh, even, you know, sweet white vinifera, residual sugar above 4%, and they got a whole bunch of different categories for the residual sugar above 4%, and fortified wines and port stalled wines that ends it all up. So, quite a competition. It is uh, $60 per entry, though. And the number of entries are not limited. So if you want to enter 20 categories and you've got 20 wines, uh, go for it. And they can do that. You just make a copy of the entry sheet and start filling them out. Uh, read, read livery and winery. Uh, in fact, we interviewed him and he came into the... I think I'm getting some echo myself now. No, I guess not. Uh, yeah, wow, that was funny. I just, just heard an echo from me. But Reed's 
uh, livery and winery was a guest on our program. He also stopped by and visited me at the winery. He makes like 45, 50 different wines. I, it's, <laughs> uh, it's just amazing. He says, yeah, I have all these fruit trees and all these grapevines on the property, so I just make wine out of everything. And he does. He's got a whole bunch of I had a chance to taste some of them. They're very good. But that's just one example of the competitions that go on around the country. Uh, we've talked about competitions before and how they're set up and what all they do and all that stuff. And I just got that in, uh, what is it, got that in Monday. So it's a reasonably, reasonably new letter to me. Okay, let's pull out the old calendar here and see what's coming up for the rest of this week and into next week and see let's see April, May, June June, here we go, June June the 23rd, National Pink Day today, midsummer uh, is tomorrow which is the middle of summer the days are going to start getting shorter from that day on and so start looking at a little bit darker every evening. Uh, National Onion Day is Monday. And uh, let's see, they don't have food. This, this thing used to have food dates all through it, but they don't have that anymore. Uh, hmm. And so uh, that's going to let's see what wine days we might have for the rest of the month here. Uh, 23rd, none. No wine days coming up. So uh, this is still Idaho Wine Month and Ohio Wine Month and Iowa Wine Month. I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning of the month or not. I very possibly could have skipped that and not remember. So that's uh, coming up this week. Not a whole lot, but I'm sure that one is never at a loss for a reason to drink wine. So jump in there and enjoy wine and good health and moderation, as they say. All right, let's see what we got here today. Heat. Wherever you are, I'm sure you are feeling the effects of heat right now. It is all across the country here, all across the Midwest, uh, hitting, well, temperatures up in Fargo, I heard, were up in the mid-90s this this past week. Fargo, yeah, North Dakota. Uh, and through Minnesota and all up and down to the near west and the Midwest and the all that area there is having some extreme heat with no rain or break in sight. And that's also in Europe. And I just found that out. Europe is having their heat wave too. It's going in Spain, in Italy, France, Germany, uh, all that area there is just in all the little small countries and everything um, I just mentioned those countries because they're grapevine countries and I was curious what was the effects of the heat on the vines and all that so I was doing some research and not good overall uh, the Vitus vinifera uh, is not real tolerant of high heat. They uh, have the same thing with real cold weather. They, the skins will tend to burst, and there goes your grape. So uh, I started to look up what the different types of uh, temperatures that would be too much and usually above 100 degrees and that is the uh, the cutoff point uh, they stop metabolizing at 100 degrees and if they stop metabolizing and it gets really hot they shrivel up and start becoming raisinated and they lose all their moisture 
And they can also, if the grapevines get too hot, they can also lose their leaves, which could potentially kill them. Because without the photosynthesis, you don't have a good plant. So uh, that is a possible problem. Now, I think what we are getting so far in these areas are not real long periods of major heat. It is hot, but it's not major long-term heats up into the upper 90s and stuff like that and low hundreds. Some areas may be experiencing that. So um, I haven't seen any, though. I've been trying to search for what I can, try to find out what's going on. Uh, the um, uh, Concord grape is, uh, the juice and stuff is doing well. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Riesling, Chardonnay, all can withstand the heat a little bit more. Uh, but it, <laughs> and, you know, I just, I'm, I'm reading here, I'm sorry for the delays, but once the temperature reaches around 95 degrees, the grapes start shutting down so that they can conserve water. Uh, uh, and the, the grapes are the grapevine's baby. It, one thing to always remember, so the grapevine itself would do what it can to protect it, the grapes because usually they have seeds in them and they use, you know, want to propagate itself and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get more babies, more, more grapevines. And so when the temperature hits 95 degrees or higher, the grapes start shutting down and they do this to conserve water. And as long as they're conserving water, they can survive. But uh, it stresses the grapes, and especially the quality of the grapes and the quality of the vine. So uh, testing plants and the various degrees and the heat waves and all that and water deficiencies have been an ongoing study. Uh, they've uh, there's been work in the vineyards to try to uh, see how much leaf removal or extra shading might be needed to protect the grapes and the grapevines. And then also canopy control and cooling devices. There is mist that has been put in vineyards to try to keep the temperatures down on the grapevines. And this is being done throughout the world, actually. The, the temperature here is, can, uh, the temperature in the grapevine can really cause a major loss of production, obviously, and that's the areas that are doing it. So uh, there's uh, a constant thing, uh, IFAS in uh, Florida is even looking at temperature controls and stuff like that and seeing what they can do to try to keep the grapes from getting grapevines from getting too hot. The uh, Washington State and California and Oregon are going through heat waves that is unprecedented, especially in the Central Valleys of California and Oregon. And so they've tried different methods of saving the grapes and uh, the vines. Misting, it seems to be the most common and the best because it keeps the grapevines a good 10 degrees cooler than the ambient temperature. So misting is being used, uh, although if the infrastructure is not set up for misting, then it could be really expensive to get it all set up. But a lot of areas that are set up for frost damage and they coat their grapevines in ice, misting is just uh, the next step right there. You just change the little plugs on, on the water systems and stuff like that and you can miss. So the heat is really uh, becoming a factor around the world simply because the heat is affecting the grapevines and it's not going away. It's it's hanging around. Um, the excessive heat is 
really depends on the grape itself. Some grapes obviously are more sensitive than others, but overall it is affecting them uh, anywhere from 95 to um, 100 degrees in that range there. It really starts affecting grapevines. And it's uh, not good for it. Here's something that says 17 days and counting is the number of days over 100 degrees in California's Central Valley uh, since July 1st. Uh, so 17 days. Uh, it's not unusual for midsummer, but when the temperatures exceed 107 degrees for four to eight consecutive days, uh, it starts affecting the grapes tremendously and they said that the uh, very high temperatures more than 110 degrees haven't been recorded in the area in the Central Valley in 25 years and it could have a major impact on grapevines or any other crop that's growing in the Central Valley uh, since we are all about wine I talk about grapevines but it affects everything and affects all the crops and so it's it's affecting everything, and the coloring of the grapes uh, it will affect that. And so the darker purples of the red grapes it could make them lighter. The white grapes will turn uh, will, can get sunburned. They're saying here it's a possibility. So heat is a major factor, as bad as the winter bad weather that hits areas they're naming heat waves now too here in the united states i just heard that uh, they have names and they're naming them just like they name hurricanes and oh, a lot of other events it seems like they like naming that stuff whether people get bored i guess so they say that they're going to start doing that um pinkberry let's see the abnormal coloration of white grapes often called pinkberry is related to the uh, uh, anthocyanins, uh, and that is part of the grape that can be affected by the sun. It says pinkberry is commonly observed in the hot tropical areas, such as India, Brazil, and Australia, but it's uh, because of the heat moving north and uh, the heat we're having this year. It's also affecting a lot of the grapes that we have. And the Thompson seedless and muscat are also being affected too. So your Thompson seedless, you know, look for your green grapes to maybe be a little, little pinkish color. I don't know if they would pass them and still put them on the shelf, but there is a possibility. So the heat is a problem. Uh, let me get out of that since I've been seeing this heat. I want to talk about that for a little bit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, here is something I saw that it said, Great expectations thriving on the vine for growers in Florida. And that caught my eye because, hey, yeah, all about wine is located in Florida. And it said that, the commercial viticultural is maturing nicely in Florida. There are over 40 wineries in the state of Florida. I haven't checked the latest, but I have to trust them because this is dated today. Wow, this is, you know, well, dateline, dateline, dateline. <laughs> and uh, the growers are producing more than 1,500 acres of muscadine grape, which is a 74% increase in the last 10 years. But they say that uh, the uh, increasing market for Florida-grown grapes, uh, a Ali Sackhoff, uh, the University of Florida IFAS assistant, is attempting to grow varietals bred by scientists at Florida A&M University, the University of Georgia, and the University of California at Davis, which they have been trying that for years. This article is like it's brand new, but they've been attempting that for years and years. I don't know if there's something new out there. He says, Florida's mauled winter climate and early spring season offer unique opportunities for early season fresh market muscadine, which can be weeks ahead of Georgia and North Carolina's. Uh, there's a new 
breed of muscon grape developed by the University of Georgia that is bigger berry, uh, more sustainability, and it ripens earlier. And so uh, they are wineries are planting that around the state. They said that Pierce disease presents a problem for the muscadine. Now that caught me off guard on this article. I don't know why it it, it doesn't. It you can grow muscadine, and it says that it, but Pierce disease affects the muscadine, and it doesn't. Uh, I don't know, but this uh, they are doing stuff to try to stop the glassy wing sharpshooter, and we have talked about this bug many shows in the past. Uh, scientists at UC Riverside out in California have shot a at eradicating the glassy-winged sharpshooter uh, just as resistance to the insecticides have been growing. says, um, when the bug flies into the grapevines, it transmits the bacteria that creates or causes Pierce disease. And once infected, the grapevines die, and which could be a problem for the $58 billion industry in California. And it's only controlled by quarantines and sprays, and the sprays are getting less and less effective. So it's become a problem. But University of uh, California at Riverside is starting to use CRISPR technology. And what CRISPR does, if you are not familiar with it, you go in, you pull out a gene, you replace one little part of that helix of the gene, with something else and insert it back in and it changes uh, the uh, the gene. So uh, CRISPR technology is used to control shopshooters' eye color, for example. In one experiment, they turned the insect's eyes white. And another one, they turned them into a blood red color. And the promising thing for this is that the color of the eyes were permanent and were then passed on to the offspring of the modified parents. So it wasn't just like you have to do it to every generation. It, it continued on. So because of this, they can start making changes to the insects and throw them out and, you know, three or more generations afterwards can still have this change in it. So you can have the change in the insects so that they are not resistant to diseases or that they are not going to propagate or any number of things you can do to these insects through CRISPR uh, or gene technology or gene splicing. So this is a good thing if they can continue this stuff and or even stop them, stop the bugs themselves from not getting pierced disease, although they do damage by eating the stuff anyway, but not nearly as bad as just if the pierced disease, because the grapevines die. There's nothing that can be done once the grapevines affected by pierced disease, it dies. So, uh, but they have, uh, back to the, what I was talking about on the, uh, the uh, are the uh, Florida muscadine grapes. Uh, we uh, let's see. Started trials to evaluate the performance of these uh, Pierce disease tolerant grapevines. Muscadine's not affected by it. I don't see. Okay, here, they said they have a block of Chenin Blanc, and Chenin Blanc is a vinifera family, so that would be affected by Pierce disease. So that's what they're testing on it here. Okay, I couldn't figure out why they said Pierce disease, but they do have a a block of Chenin Blanc. So, okay, good. But Florida is becoming more and more and more uh, a grape state. Yay, but every state is. So what can we say? Before I forget, and it's sort of Cool. I've been seeing it uh, in National Geographic and also in text and all sorts of stuff. 
but there is going to be a an alignment of planets and the best time to see them is going to be tomorrow morning actually uh it's uh it's this can be glimpsed by a vast majority of the world's population north of the equator uh southern hemisphere is not going to get this but the northern hemisphere will uh but go out early in the morning about five o'clock and look to the east actually just even a little bit more like uh east east northeast just a little bit further uh, than straight east and just on the horizon you will see mercury and then a little bit higher than that about uh, one o'clock from mercury is venus which really shines pretty bright venus is a very bright planet for us and then on over closer to the moon and you will see a crescent moon on the left of the crescent moon is uranus and then going further to the right there's a little dot of mars and mars tends to be a reddish color which is cool you can pick it out and then continuing to the right which you're almost directly southeast now you will see a fairly bright jupiter and then even more to the right uh neptune about the same distance from Jupiter as Mars is from Jupiter, you'll see Neptune. And then over in the, almost in the straight south sky, up even higher in the sky, is Saturn. So a very unusual alignment of planets that we can actually see. So you've got Mercury, Venus, Uranus, the Moon, then you've got Mars, Jupiter, Neptune, and Saturn uh, all lined up and one great view there an unusual alignment uh the best time is tomorrow morning at around five o'clock in the morning look toward the east and to the southeast of the south and you'll see all these planets um i want to share that with you if you have not heard yet it's sort of cool and all of you who don't listen to me live Sorry, you missed it. Actually, it goes up to the 27th. You can still see him pretty well on the 27th. You'll probably lose Mercury on the bottom of it, but over the next uh, three days, four days, uh, you'll still be able to see the, the lineup. Okay. This is an interesting article, the, the Lees. I, I, you may have heard wine makers wine shows myself talk about leaving the wine on the lees uh are uh, as we're making champagne probably the most common but what happens when they leave on the lees and what is the lees and let's talk about that for a little bit here uh lees aging and this is also known as surlai which is french for on lees so we're going to say on lees instead of surlai is the process of letting the white and sparkling wines mature and age on top of the spent yeast and other particulate matter. Excuse me. All right. Simple as that. Uh, When you have something, when you're fermenting your wine, you have the yeast in there, and the yeast causes it to ferment, which creates... uh, oxygen and sugars are it not creates sugars it creates oxygen from the yeast eating up the sugars and it changes and does its magic work and you have wine and oxygen and the byproduct of this is called lees which is a, uh, a milky appearance of the wine uh, but sort of a smooth consistency uh, and it falls down to the bottom of the tank or barrel or bottle, whatever you happen to be using. Too much lees could have a bad impact on the wine. Uh, others, it's a good thing. All right. Um, so the process is going to give you a nice... 
rounded mo- uh, wine, a good mouthfeel, rounded, uh, creamy flavors, uh, yeasty bread-like notes. You may have had a wine that you just you get the taste of bread. Uh, that's the yeast, and that's from the lees. Okay, this is commonly associated with Bur- uh, Burgundian winemaking, and it's used for Chardonnays and Muscadet. Uh, the probably best known is Champagne. Champagne is on, left on the lees for anywhere from 12 months to 36 months, depending on your vintage and your type and all that you're making. And it's, the style is being used in the United States a lot for California Chardonnay. And this is what helps contribute to the, the warm, buttery, creamy qualities of Chardonnay. You have, you know, along with the barrel and other factors in there, but the second fermentation, the malolactic fermentation helps create that creaminess, and that's, uh, with all that together, you get this real butteriness on your Chardonnays. Uh, you have to have good grapes, obviously, and you have to have good leaves, and it creates a wonderful Chardonnay. Kara uh, Morrison, who is the winemaker at Sonoma Cutter in California, says that uh, using the leaves on the Chardonnay creates a, a very buttery, silky uh, taste of their Chardonnays. Uh, they also have the tradition that is used in Burgundy, uh, the, the surly aging techniques, including barrel fermentation, uh, surly, and batonage. Uh, batonage is the act of taking a baton, uh, baton, and stirring up the wine and the lees. And it creates, uh, uh, well, it throws everything all together and all that. Uh, after, let's see. Uh, the yeast has consumed and converted the sugar in a wine, and then it dies. Okay, once the sugar has been converted by the yeast, the yeast have nothing else to work on, and so the yeast die. Uh, I lost my place. Okay. Inside these dead yeast cells, though, there's a whole bunch of important compounds. There's proteins and molecules. The molecules include manoprotein and polysaccharides and fatty acids and amino acids. And these all help contribute to the taste of the wine. Uh, Manoproteins uh, add to the mouthfeel, the aroma, the flavor, and it also softens your tannins. Your polysaccharides are bonded groups of sugar molecules, and they help reduce the astringency, the, the bite you get, and they also create balance and structure in the wine. So when you, you hear, oh, this has good structure, that's what this molecule is for, the polysaccharides. Fatty acids uh, are contained within the walls of the yeast, and they help boost the different flavors and the aromas. And the amino acids also do about the same thing, helping with the texture also. So all these things inside the the yeast help contribute as you leave them on contact with uh, the juice that you have. Uh, interaction between the leaves and the barrel is also essential. So the barrel comes into play on this. It uh, takes compounds from the oak and immigrates it into the wine. Uh, this is one of the things leaving the leaves in there it helps transfer some of the oak into the wine. Different lees molecules come into play at different points of the aging process. So usually the first few months, the early stages, the main benefit of lees is to stop 
unwanted oxidation from developing in the wine. Uh, you've had a wine that's been oxidized. It turns brown around the edges and stuff like that. Red or white, it turns brown. Bad thing, bad thing. But as long as it's left on the leaves, it tends to stop that, uh, retard that very, very quickly. Uh, the manoproteins absorb the residual oxygen, and it stops the uh, oxidation and the dull coloring and flavor. Uh, manoproteins are also critical for white wines that go through the malolactic fermentation. This is where the malic acid in a wine converts to lactic acid and creates that buttery, creamy, smooth taste that you get. And the malolactic bacteria eat the manoproteins, aiding in that process. So the manoproteins are a good thing there to feed that malic acid. Uh, malolactic acid and the bacteria and therefore converts that over to that butteriness for you. So the, the lees uh, help on that. Okay, after f the first few months, the dead yeast cells break down and start to release their compounds into the wine. Now this is uh, a when the lees, uh, winemaker can start to use the lees to shape the character of the wine. This is typically done through the batonage, batonage, where a metal baton is inserted into a barrel of wine and stirred, releasing a cloud of lees. Uh, it's described here by Morrison as like cream and coffee or a lava lamp. It just stirs it all up and creates this, you know, different color and flavor. By stirring the lees, instead of simply letting them sit on the bottom of the barrel, uh, winemakers can create more uniform interactions with the wine in the barrel. And it breaks down the yeast cell walls more quickly to create compounds into the wine. So lees are pretty important in getting that complex wine. Uh, you stir the wine how often? It just depends on what you want. Um, Morrison says that she tends to stir the leaves about once a month for each of seven to nine months in the barrel aging period. So you want to overstir or understir. Just like Goliath, she says, you want it just right. And they found that seven to nine times works perfectly. And many champagne producers value the leaves for the roundness, the aromas, and flavors it imparts. Now, champagne it completes its secondary fermentation in the bottle. And the leaves don't rest in the bottom of the barrel. They are in each individual bottle. And because of that, uh, they are slowly aged, so the leaves collect in the neck and they're removed at the end of the aging period. This is called riddling. I don't know if I've ever talked about riddling in the program before. I... I was going through this day and reading this and other articles, and it said riddling. And I always talked about riddling a lot at the winery. People would come up every once in a while and ask something about different things, which led me to remember riddling. And I don't know if I ever talked about it on the program, but riddling. Okay. When you've seen champagne bottles probably in pictures or even in person that are all set on this big board at like a 45 degree angle and they have the leaves in it and you don't want the leaves to settle on one side on one side of the bottle and that can happen very easily if you're storing a bottle for yourself sometimes you will have a little residual leaves that are still in there that you'll see stain the one side of the bottle because it wasn't turned or anything. Well, when you have champagne, you put these in these racks and you turn them a quarter of a turn every well, set period of time. I mean, usually uh, it's every couple of weeks, every month, something like that. And you turn them so that the leaves aren't all setting in one spot all the time. 
And this is uh, towards the end of Method Champagne's, uh, which is the traditional method of making champagne. And you rotate a quarter of a turn on these. Now, the people who are uh, do this are excellent. Uh, well, here it is. This is the special table became known as a Pupitre, uh, P-U-P-I-T-R-E. I pronounced it wrong, I guarantee you, which started the system of rumage, and rumage is the turning of the bottles. A remeur, R-E-M-U-E-U-R, is the bottle turner for these champagne bottles. And a well-trained bottle turner can turn 20,000 to 75,000 bottles a day. A skilled bottle turner can do that. Uh, hard work, obviously, but he just it's just that's the little punk in the bottom helps it. He just grabs the bottle and does a quarter of a twist with his wrist and goes up and down the racks and turns them just so the leaves won't settle on one side of the bottle. This way, the leaves also go down into the neck, and they slide into the neck, and then the removal of these particulates is called disgorgement, and this leaves the appearance of the wine clear instead of cloudy, and then you have a nice clear champagne without the leaves, and the leaves have already done their magic, and so everything is good. Uh, let's see. But hand riddling, like I just said, it's called riddling. Hand riddling is a very labor-intensive step. It's, uh, I mean, like takes, uh, you know, time, and, it, and people aren't training to do the job now, and so you're running short of people who used to do the riddling and it can take up to six weeks to complete the manual riddling of a uh, a rack of wine sparkling wines and once you finish you got to start over again and do it again but in the 1970s an invention called the gyro palette g-y-r-o-p-a-l-e-t-t-e the gyro palette uh, was invented to alleviate the labor costs and the hassle by automating the riddling process. And now the gyro process can riddle 24 hours a day and complete a riddling cycle in about seven days as opposed to uh, a month in the, by doing it by hand. Uh, six weeks, up to six weeks, they can do it in, in seven days. And depends on how much sediment's in the bottle and all that, too, on the on the Jarrow um, cycle. The um, uh, difference in quality, none. It's uh, basically the same thing. You don't have any problems. Everything uh, moves the <coughs> moves the yeast down the neck of the bottle, and the results are achieved through the general pounds as well as it is by hand. So now. Most of the riddling is done with a general pilot, unless they are small batches and small batches, 100 to 500 bottles. Uh, it's usually turned over to a person to do now. And so that is riddling. That's what they do to get the leaves to fall to the neck so they can disgorge it and take out the leaves and reseal the champagne and sell it to you. So those are uh, riddling and uh, uh, lease and telling you all about lease. I why did I why did that one okay. Some terms to use to describe tannin. Now, tannin is that dryness you feel in your mouth that uh uh, stickiness, but let me give you a few words to describe tannins so the next time you 
taste of red wine that's, that's got tannins in it. Cabs, uh, Merlots, Zimitos, any any of those, Malbacs. I can go on and name a whole bunch of different ones. But anytime you're at a loss, look for these terms to describe it, and you'll probably come up with something that will work for you. Grippy, G-R-I-P-P-Y. That means that once you taste that, it's immediately noticeable. Wham, you've got it right there. Integrated. This is perfectly in line with the other components, like the flavor and weight of the wine, the fill in the mouth, and all that stuff. It's just it's, the tannins are just really just where it should be. Silky. This is, I find this a lot in, in some cabs. Uh, it's fine-grained and unobtrusive. It's there, but it's not overpowering. Uh, the less expensive the wine is, the more you're going to start getting a silky-type reaction simply because it's not going to be overpowering. And once the wine's been aged for the proper number of years, it's going to be more silky. Same as the word plush. This meaning soft and integrated. So it's... Basically the same as silky, an aged wine that has the tannins settled in. It's going to be soft and integrated. Plush. Velvety. Soft, but with a little little bite to it, a little, little catch to it. You, know, you, you will probably notice this in wines that have not been aged to the maximum. I'd like to have a wine that has that little bite to it, a little velvety taste to it. There's another one I haven't heard, but maybe a couple times in the years I've been drinking. Resolved. I, I, I've heard lots of different words to describe, but resolved has not been one of them. But this means smooth, uh, no longer astringent, typical of mature wines. Once you've matured this wine into the uh, tannins have all leveled out into the wine. It has been resolved. Hmm. Again, I'm, I'm not familiar with that term. And then harsh. Uh, simply not integrated into the wine. Just too much tannin. And too much tannin can make a wine taste harsh. It's just one you want to say, ooh, I need to get the tannins out of this, and you can do that by just sitting there strolling the glass for a while, and that will help get those tannins out of that wine so that it's not as harsh. Okay, let's see, something, uh, uh, oh, the sky, I told you about that. Walt's Vineyard, and they are having a concert, Walsh Vineyard, which is located in Mannheim, Pennsylvania, uh, at 1599 Old Line Road, is having a concert tomorrow, Friday the 24th from 5.30 to 8.30. Doors open at 4.30. <coughs> Excuse me. $15 per person. They've opened this club concert to the waltz followers. You don't have to be a uh, member of their uh, clubs or anything else. This is open to everybody. Weather permitting, tomorrow, 5.30 to 8.30, waltz sellers. Uh, wines will be available for, for purchase. Uh, no other alcohol, obviously, permitted. You can bring picnic food, glasses, chairs, blankets, and enjoy the evening at Waltz Vineyard. Again, uh, Walsh Vineyard is 1599 Old Line Road in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Uh, if you're not subscribing to them, you can. Just walshvineyards.com. Uh, that is tomorrow. Uh, let's see. Where's... Nope. That has to be over in these here. Yeah. Tablas Creek. Uh, Tablas Creek is trying to get its uh, certification. Uh, let me see. Where's 
I had another vineyard here I was going to tell you about. Where is it? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, well, a couple other vineyards that are having activities over the next couple of weeks because of Fourth of July, uh, the ones I usually tell you about, uh, uh, Enery, was it Enery River? And, uh, uh, Everywhere is going to be having stuff coming up on Fourth of July weekend. Fourth of July is going to be a win. It'll be one, two, three, four on a Monday this year. Oh, that'll be good. So, if you are so inclined, visit your local wineries for Fourth of July coming up next week. Start making plans now. Uh, some of them do have reservations required. Some of them do have restrictions. And so because of that, be sure that you get hold of them first and be sure that you can't just pop in and then be turned away. So if you have a favorite winery or if you're planning to be on the road, which, you know, they're saying quite a few people are, but with the gas prices, not me, but... uh if you're out there and about and all that, visit wineries, I do highly suggest that you call them first to be sure that it is going to be okay that they can accommodate you that might have restrictions or something. And I think that's going to be it for tonight. Oh, I'm early tonight. I usually go over. Uh, but uh, that should do it for this week. Hmm. Okay. Um, oh, here we go. Oh, One back more. to the story. On... Okay. Let me get Whispering Oaks. Tonight they have a concert. Tonight? June the 23rd at 6 o'clock. Oh, you missed it. Never mind. Okay. Back to the story. And now you heard it first. Whispering Oaks. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, the leaves, leaves you were talking about? How do you spell that? Because I tried doing Google search and I couldn't figure ribbling and all that that you were talking about. L-E-E-S. It's L-E-E-S. That's it, yeah. That's not what I thought it was. I thought it was like a person's name, L-E. I tried all kinds of stuff. L-E-I-G-H-S. L-E-A-Z. Everything but that. Okay. I was looking it up. I was like, couldn't find it. Um. Uh, All right. Well, yeah, that's you know, the sediment of wine in the barrel, and that's. But you also, if you just look up Lee's, you get all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I got Lee's Grocery, Lee's Environmental Service, Lee's House. But hmm. it, what is Lee's and wine? And the quick answer is, are leftover yeast particles from autolysis which is the self-destruction of yeast cells by enzymes created from fermentation. As strange as this may seem, leaves are used in white and sparkling wines to add beneficial textures and flavors. And that's just doing a Google search and a, just a question there. So L-E-E-S, leaves. That was it. All right. Yeah, the other, one I, the other match I found was leaves, L-E-A-V-E-S. And I'm thinking, wow. It's, Maybe yeah, I'm pronouncing it problem. wrong, really wrong. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it would be pronounced that way. So uh, yeah, yeah, bees, um, kind of like bees, but you know, yes, yeah. Um, so, oh, good, thank you. Now I can yeah. have fun researching stuff. Um, researching that. All right, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's uh, about five seconds away from eight o'clock. Uh, just about there, <laughs> and. Uh, We'll talk to you all uh, next uh, Thursday, which will be the 30th. Remember, we do have a guest. Uh, Stephen Lane will be the guest uh, author, and we'll talk to him on the 30th. That's uh, next Thursday right here on Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, and uh, the other one, YouTube. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, have a great week and a great weekend. And um, 
We'll Get it tomorrow time. morning. Thank you. Look at the alignment of the planets, too. That's oh, going to yeah. really be good tomorrow morning, uh, about 530, right yeah. before the sun comes up. Yeah. Ooh. So check it's that early, out. But it'll be, it's it'll early, be but it's early, but it's next next time that'll yeah. happen, I think, is going to be like in uh, 30 years, 35 years, something like that. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be a ways away. What a day. Yeah. yeah so, thank you for listening. Appreciate <laughs> it. Be safe, and uh, hmm. I'll see you next okay. week. Cool. Yeah. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine, All About Wine with your host Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show. Visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. I think it's still on iTunes. I don't know. I haven't checked in a while. Oh, we're still oh on. I know. Yes. I never okay. against that. There's other places we, we appear on that every once in a while I'm looking through stuff and I'll go, All about wine. I didn't know we were here. Yeah. And they pick <laughs> us up for some reason. I you know, I'm not complaining but I just you know, it's weird. That's it what I say people yeah. say, How many listeners do you have? And I say, I don't know. Oh, how can you not know? And I said, because it's so many venues pick us up, I have no idea how many people are out there actually listening because yeah. I don't get numbers from those so yeah so it's weird really lost track yeah um yeah oh um go to the green room real quick and then uh, we'll be out of here yeah yeah i thought we were still